As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Big Tech's ordinance has everything from complete firearms to OEM and aftermarket parts. If you're looking to put together your first AR-15, they have everything from those parts that you need to the tools that are going to be essential. If you're looking for suppressors, night vision, handheld lights, weapon lights, sights or optics, you name it, Big Tech's has it all. Not only that, they're offering all those brands that we like. Go visit them at BigTechsOrdinance.com. Filster makes awesome holsters. But not only that, they also happen to be one of those companies that are trendsetters. A lot of their designs are emulated by other companies. Not only does Filster make those holsters, but they also provide concealment systems like the Enigma, the Flex. They also have a lot of solutions when it comes to concealment solutions for medical. If you need to have a concealment first aid kit, they happen to sell them. Check them out at filsterholster.com. Primary Arms Government now offers the Comprehensive Agency Trade-In Program. So professional teams can get the most from their used or obsolete equipment. Working with GTI's asset training program, Primary Arms Government can offer you top dollar on any agency asset. From service weapons to uniforms, tools, and vehicles, their agency program is the best way to grow your agency's budget and upgrade with America's leading tactical brands. For more information, please visit www.primaryarms.com government. Staccato. From everyday citizens to those in the line of duty. A staccato firearm is a promise of American ingenuity, precision-engineered reliability, accuracy, and confidence. Because the better we shoot, the closer we are to the target, the more locked in we are for family and freedom. If you're ready to get to the next level with a 2011, start with staccato at staccato2011.com. Walther is the performance leader in the firearms industry, renowned throughout the world for its innovation since Carl Walther and his son Fritz created the first blowback semi-automatic pistol in 1908. Today, the innovative spirit builds off the invention of the concealed carry gun with the PPK series by creating the PPQ, PPS, and the Q5 match steel frame series. Military, police, and other government security groups in every country of the world have relied on the high-quality craftsmanship and rugged durability of Walther products. Walther continues its long tradition of technical expertise and innovation in the design and production of firearms. For more information, visit WalterArms.com. So let's see here. I think we could probably start, could probably do some background stuff for the intros and whatnot. And then we can go right into the discussions. Uh, James has been on a few times, so we can just make fun of him when he arrives. Perfect. He's used to it. Uh, my background's in law enforcement. Uh, 
this whole topic to me is very interesting just because I've had everything from what I consider to be some of the worst supervisors to some of the best supervisors. And I've learned what not to do, what to do. And I try to implement what to do on a regular basis. Um, even as a standard patrol officer, it is possible to have some of these good, and it might not be specific to being a supervisor. It is leadership and it's not management, it's leadership. Um, but to, to, if you were to stop studying this or stop looking for a better way of doing things, you might as well hang it up. Um, and it's just like our, our, our tactics, our, our firearm skills. The minute you stop being a student, that means that means you're, you're stagnating. So the panel we have today, we have, we have assembled the finest. These guys have been there. These guys have done that. Um, and it's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a great discussion. Unfortunately, this is one of the things I say on a regular basis as well. This specific topic isn't going to be one of those cool, sexy ones. I wouldn't be surprised if we took our initial conversation we just had about 22s and 22 mags and put it right next to this topic. More people are going to be interested in the brief. We didn't even think about that conversation. We just kind of a normal, yeah, this is kind of neat conversation that would be getting more likes and all that other stuff. The meat and potatoes, the real information isn't popular, but I don't do these for popularity. I do these for, to, to help people. And there are people that are out among us that can use this. There are people that are in similar circumstances as I, where they don't have, there's not abundance of training available for them. Um, they're not surrounded by people that are looking to do the best that they can. They, they are surrounded by people that just have a job. And that's why I started primary and secondary back in 2014 was to be able to provide a resource for those people who, yeah, they really don't have, they don't have a network. And so putting all these like-minded people together in one place, people can, people can, can get some, some take, take some notes and hopefully improve uh, their own situation. And also at the same time, they can be a good example. So yeah, been doing the law enforcement thing since last century. Went through the academy in 98, been doing it since. Um, getting close to the time where I have to think of B plans. One of my B plans is primary and secondary. Uh, I love the fact that I have that to fall back on, assuming that I still, I'll have the mental capacity and the patience, we'll see. Um, but let's go off and since James is here, let's have him do his quick intro. He's all sharp with his mustache and tie. And I think I saw you in like an eighties cop show. Uh, is this not an oral board? <laughs> Dang it. Uh, no, I, I just came from work and they're giving me stuff to do. So I got to put on the other attire. Yes. Uh, Westerfield uh, law enforcement since 95, which hurts to say now that I think about it. Um, and it was, that was at a jail and like you, I went to the Academy in 98 and uh, are under some real crime fighters in the nineties uh, working uh, Nebraska, Wyoming and Colorado. Um, now patrol sergeant, uh, Colorado Sheriff's office since 2018 uh, field training officer coordinator and um, anything else they tell me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Chuck. So <clears throat> I'm in my 
35th year of law enforcement now. Uh, started with one job, did 28 years there. Uh, ended up being, I went from uh, officer, field training officer, sergeant, lieutenant. I was a shift commander when I left. Had uh, 50, roughly 56 people working for me uh, in, in that role. I was on the SWAT team for about 18 years, went through through the ranks there, was a breacher, a point guy, sniper, uh, did a lot of time behind a shield, made sergeant, was a team leader. We had teams on, on the uh, SWAT team, two squads on the SWAT team. And at one point when we didn't have a lieutenant, I was the acting team leader. Uh, did 14 years in the National Guard and got a real taste for how some of this stuff was supposed to work. My dad was a lifer in the Army, so I grew up with that. I, ever since I was a kid, this is, you know, a topic of discussion or observation, uh, what have you. So I retired from my old gig, and I'm bad at retirement, as William April used to tell me. And I've uh, been at my current gig, which is police and fire. We do both for six years. I'm currently the captain in charge of uh, the shift lieutenants and all the law enforcement training for my job. Mock, it's already six years. Wow. I was going to say it's been what, two? It's a cruel fact of life that the older you get, time accelerates yes. kind of like going down the roller coaster. It just picks up speed. Now that you've got a kid, Matt, you'll find out that that is also an accelerator. Oh to yeah. Time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so, so he's my second. And so mm -hmm. we, we have built in babysitting. It's awesome, but it's, it's fun because my, definitely my prioritization and what I want to do with my time has, has definitely, has, it's shifted. And I am the designated uh, uh, diaper changer, and I'm okay with that. Just don't let my wife know. I need to have something to. I'm the only one changing diapers here. Or yeah. if, uh, if I get goofy, I've been up since three in the morning. So oh, yeah. I've got old. I've got old people hours. I like to fall asleep just after sundown. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Being on graves, I try to take a nap before before that time. But yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, I did about 25 years of some sort of night shift. Um, that that uh, that wears on your system. Yep. And that's why I have these, because these are completely healthy. This episode is brought to you by Rockstar. Not really. Yeah. <clears throat> Warren? Well, I'm Warren Wilson. Uh, work at a, about a 100-man department in Oklahoma right now. Um, also been a cop since the 1900s. Spent about, uh, I guess, the 25, six years now. I spent about 21 of that, 22 of that in leadership of some kind. I was a leader on my SWAT team and a shift commander. Uh, been over the 911 center, which is just as riveting as you can imagine. And uh, currently I'm a captain, just got promoted again to captain so over training so i'm really excited about that supervising 911 how was that compared to supervising different. cops different yeah these are different kind of folk you're looking at 85 percent female just consistently 
um, very different, strong, tough kind yeah. of kind of people. Definitely was an interesting deal. And I learned a lot about leadership and a lot about teaching, hmm. especially teaching uh, females. Learned a ton about that. I tried to write an article, but nobody would take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Over why. Uh, I've done that before. Better than men. At, uh, I couldn't get anybody to take it. It was crazy. I might, I might do that. Yeah. That last one that you, you, you wrote up for me was awesome. Thanks. Now, That's and my favorite. Was that one that no one wanted to also? I, I, there's a couple of them I didn't even try. Yeah. Um, that I just know. Uh, the main one I write for, I know wouldn't touch that one because they wouldn't touch the dispatcher one. It's a shame. And uh, so I didn't even try with them. I did try with another one that I was writing for at the time that was a freebie, didn't pay. But I decided that uh, at that point when they said no, I decided I'm not going to write anything I don't want to that I'm not getting paid for. Yep. And I'm still not going to write anything I don't feel good about. Yep. So that's whenever you offered to pick that one up, I was excited because I had it done. <laughs> I yeah. Was trying to shop it. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that, that was great. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people appreciated it. A lot of good insights. And I suspect that's going to be the same with the other one you just talked about. And just like a lot of what we do here, it's not the most popular but it's going to resonate with people and it's going to help people. And that right there is the most important reason to do this stuff. Getting guys to read about leadership and reading is probably the most important thing you can do other than be under a mentor. Getting them to read about leadership is, is crazy difficult, especially now. I offered to buy a guy, a new sergeant, two books. Uh, one of them was, um, I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Oh, and you forgot where that paper went. And I, and yeah, I eventually forgot where the paper was either. I was a Navy SEAL guy and all his, his crew. You'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, extreme ownership. Oh yeah. Jocko. And yeah. Yeah. Jocko Willink. I tried to buy him that and he goes, nah, I got it figured out. Of course. And so, they all do. Yeah. Did you just it's a, it's a stop watching how long it's before he gets in trouble? That's uh, that's when, you know, they don't have it figured out. Mm-hmm. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.
Uh, so I figured one one uh, place to start with this would be to discuss what the author. Uh, so I have notes right here on this on my screen. Uh, the authority of supervision and basically what are the ultimate guides. And so I have state law, local law, department SOP, chief directives to include citizen guidance from the chief, and then the immediate supervisor input. If you don't have an idea of state law, if you don't have an idea of what our SOP is, if you don't have an idea of what the chief wants us to do, what direction we should go, you probably shouldn't be even thinking about correcting someone, especially on one of these topics, whether it be a traffic stop, a felony stop, uh, dealing with whatever type of sex offender, um, establishing, though, having an understanding of these are the expectations of what the job is. And if you don't know what they are, you probably should not be advising. What are your guys' thoughts on that? And that's just yeah. kind of a shotgun. Of, yeah. You, uh, you definitely need, if you're going to be in a leadership position, whatever level that is, you need to be as much of a subject matter expert on what you're supposed to be uh, whatever your field of endeavor is, you know, if you're going to be an engineer, if you're going to be a road crew foreman, if you are going to, particularly if you're going to be a cop, uh, because, and, and it's, it, it shocks me how many people don't realize that how much in their own best interest as a supervisor that is. A big part of the problem with police supervision is so many people take the super, they take the promotion because they want the pay raise, not because they want to be a supervisor. I've seen a lot of people take the pay raise and then don't do the job. Well, on the concept of vicarious liability, if you screw up, you get in trouble. If your troops screw up, you also get in trouble. Yeah. Um, virtually every one of the scandals that I've seen, any one of the uh, like dope raids gone bad that turn into some cluster of a shootout, uh, all of that sort of thing that I have seen come down to failures in leadership. Uh, there was a famous case. I've talked about it. And when we're talking about weapon mounted lights, I, I have alluded to being involved in a case. It was a, as an expert witness and it's a famous pistol mounted light shooting but the root cause of the entire thing was a systemic failure of leadership in what turned out to be a cowboy narc unit. You had a lieutenant not doing his job, a sergeant not doing his job. And then because of all of that, uh, this led to a series, you know, tolerance stack up that led to a unarmed dude being shot dead negligently. Um, and, and there was much, much more to it than just a weapon mounted light. Uh, hell in in your neck of the woods, Matt. I went to a briefing that Randy Watt gave, um, and you could tell he was pretty sad about it. His his old department after he retired, and I think maybe he's back now, or he's at. Oh, a I don't know. Department. I know he retired. Now he like yeah. me, unretired. But uh, I think his department he left as deputy chief, and maybe a year or so after he left, they had an epic dope raid gone to hell shootout that was a clear case of uh, really poor supervision, really failure, complete failures in leadership uh, that, that just had a cascading effect. And if I remember right, there was something like seven cops shot 
on on that dope raid all by one asshole with a Ruger nine millimeter with 10 round Clinton mags, you know? Um, but the, the vast majority of the issues I see in law enforcement come down to failures in leadership of some type, but directly related. If it's training, it's a leadership issue. If it's failure to, you know, the, the four things that get agencies in trouble and cops in trouble is, negligent hiring, negligent retention, failure to supervise, failure to train. And all of those are leadership failures when you come down to the root cause of it. I think I know the, yeah, uh, the incident where Jared Frankham got killed in Ogden. Yes, they were, yeah, they were doing a, I think it was a warrant and a bad guy heard him and started engaging and Mm -hmm. just taking officers down left and right practically. Yeah, the uh, in that one, I remember on the debrief, the sergeant was actually not wanting to burn his sick leave. So he was incapacitated physically, like bad knee or something like that. So he's sitting in the car outside of the, the case address that they were doing the hit on. Uh, they had officers make an entry with no body armor. Exactly. They're carrying a pistol with no reload. They're not carrying any long guns. They don't have a, they don't have a backup plan that everything you could do wrong on a dope raid, they did wrong. And it was a systemic failure. Uh, Obviously the sergeant was on scene and he was a soup sandwich. And then the sergeant supervisor would have been a soup sandwich. And then when you have these units, these particularly egregious and special units is where it really pops up because for some reason they think they're immune from the laws of physics and nature uh, because elite. And uh, we see this kind of thing happen where, you know, if it's not a disaster like this where cops are getting shot up, they go in, they shoot the wrong people, which is the, the case that I alluded to that I can't, I can't get super in depth with. Uh, or it's some sort of um, scandal, you know, dope is missing, money is missing, uh, search warrants that never should have been signed, uh, you know, just, you know, what, what anything that could go wrong in the police world like that typically stems from a, a gross failure in leadership. Well, and that reminds me of a discussion we had with, oh, what was it? The guy, it was... Uh... Guy was shot dead. He was given. He was being given conflicting uh, in, uh, orders, and ultimately, a supervisor had a lot to do with the the issues with the officers who pulled or who pulled the trigger. Uh, yeah, names escape me at the moment. It's one of the one of the fun aspects of graveyard. Um, or, I'll, I'll I'll tell you, like famous, a very very famous incident, FBI nineteen eighty six shootout, right? Uh, people, a lot of people know the, the, you know, like body armor and long guns and tactics and the, the famous bullet failure, the, the 115 grain silver tip that led to the FBI ballistic research unit and the modern ammunition that we have nowadays, the FBI ballistic protocols, et cetera, et cetera. But what it comes down to that is that incident went wrong from the get-go because the supervisors for that incident failed to do their job. Did they ensure that people didn't get lazy and checked out long guns and took long guns with them? Did they ensure that their people, 
you're going after professional bank robberies with a history of shooting people or bank robbers with a history of shooting people and you don't ensure your people are wearing their body armor. You don't ensure that they're not carrying something bigger than a 38 revolver. Um, you, you don't ensure that they are well-versed in felony car stop tactics. You don't have a comms plan down. You don't have any this, that entire incident was going to go bad from the get go because there was a systemic failure in leadership in that unit. Warner James, anything to add on? I jabbered for a while. If you want to go first. Okay. Sorry, it's your mouthful. Uh, yeah, I'm going back to the not knowing your, your statutes and your case law and your SOPs, your policies. That's an embarrassment. You know, I, I, you know, I always get on the guys about making a traffic stop and then they call you and say, hey, what do I write them for? You know, don't you dare call me and do that. Don't ever do that. What did you stop him for? Well, he did this. What's the elements of that? You know, it's the same thing with leadership. We've, we've got to know, we've got to know more. We've got to know everything. You should spend all your time not watching TV while you're sitting in the chair waiting for the phone to ring. You should be. Have the statute book out and keep up on your case laws. And it's not that hard to do. So, yeah, it's, and going back to what Chuck said, it's 100%. I, I, I'll go even further and say 100% of everything crazy we see in cop work everything that makes a splash in a negative way is a leadership problem. Always. You can go back. You can always stem it back to training. You can go back to just bad leadership on the ground. It could be an immediate problem of conflicting orders, or it could be, you know, when, when we put this guy through the Academy, we didn't teach him how to deescalate or something like that. So yeah, I, I give, I give it a hundred percent. Uh, what I would add to that is you need to know your department's mission statement and uh, the philosophies of your chief or sheriff, because they will expect you to back their goals and their, where they're headed. Uh, and if you're opposed to those things, you're going to have a very hard time as a supervisor, because you may feel like you've got a better idea. And who says you don't? But the guy who promotes you, I'm sorry, the chief or sheriff who promotes you is expecting you to back them and see their uh, goals are envisioned and carried out on the streets. Amen. Yeah, and contradicting your boss with your guys, even on the QT, is not good for anybody. Unless you're talking about something major, you kind of need to go along. Well, and then also, if there is something major, hopefully it's something that's intercepted before it turns into an, an issue and it's brought up behind closed doors. You don't bring it up to all the patrol and say, hey, this is what's going on. Screw him. That's just dumb. No, no. Now you need to write a proposal and take it up the chain. Yeah. Put, give, give all, put all, make a case for it, just like you would anything else. Yeah. Like you would a criminal case. So I outlined what I thought to be about three things uh, that are needed to have this effective relationship with someone who, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a supervisor. It can be just a, a, a 
an FTO, a, a person in a prominent position within the department who can provide a positive influence. It's trust in that person, that supervisor, the, that influence, uh, which ultimately is a product of that relationship. Uh, understanding the expectations set by chief and all the things that we said before. Um, then also a means of providing guidance that will be accepted and understood, not necessarily agreed with. Because there are times that I've been given guidance from a supervisor I don't necessarily agree with, but I understand what the point is. I understand why I'm doing it and I need to do it anyway. What are some other things you guys think are uh, necessary for effectiveness as a supervisor? As, and, and we're talking supervisor to subordinate role or relationship. So uh, years ago, I went to a leadership class and a lot of those unfortunately are you know, filling time, you get some, you get some uh, hours in. One of the dudes was a uh, retired FBI supervisory special agent. One of the guys was a commander on uh, Los Angeles Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> and uh, they came out and they did a little introduction and they said that they had a big disagreement. <clears throat> and one of the, the FBI guys said that his premise was that 90% of all leadership failures in law enforcement are due to a lack of courage, a mm. lack of courage to do the right thing, the lack of courage to supervise in difficult positions, the lack of courage in maintaining accountability and holding your people accountable, things like that. And his counterpart that was on the stage disagreed with him vehemently about that, stating that he thought it was 100%. So, you know. <clears throat> Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Th that stuck with me, and I agree with that. I can see that uh, very commonly bowing to political pressure, uh, things that are just complete BS, um, not speaking up when you should speak up, being more worried about your ass than, than, than anything, not doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. Those are all failures and courage. So, and then another one, when you're dealing with people, something that I had problems with very early on, because if, if you have a range of human, like emotional, uh, <clears throat> like between logic and emotion, I tend to run more towards this, the Mr. Spock end of things. And when I look at things, it's logical. It makes sense to me. And anybody who doesn't see that is just an idiot, right? So all these people are stupid because they don't see the obvious. And I was having dinner. I was very, very uh, 
lucky to have dinner one night uh, after a training with Dr. Alexis Artwall, famously of uh, Four Science Research Center. And she's an amazing 90 pound brain. And I think she kind of read the scenario a little bit and was talking about, she asked me if I ever read the book, uh, Descartes' Error. So famously, Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. Um, and his, or his, his idea was, uh, I think I got that wrong. But anyway, his idea was that human beings were logical beings capable of feeling emotion. And the opposite is exactly true, is that we are emotional beings capable of logic. So if you look at most of the rest of the animal kingdom, like your dog is very run by emotion and doesn't have a whole lot of logic in him. So human beings are emotionally run beings that have the capability of applying logic. So that was a revelation to me that like, you know, looking into the owner's manual of the human brain. And uh, that started me down the path of having some emotional intelligence and reading people, dealing with people where they are, you know, because everybody can have a bad day. Everybody can have personal problems. Everybody can have marital problems. What, what your, your mom died, your dog died, whatever. Um, and not everybody starts down the path with the same attributes or with the same head start that some of us have, just like, you know, certain people have certain physical attributes. People have certain emotional attributes, um, as far as getting, getting themselves emotionally down that path. And then realizing that and not being a, not being a dickhead when I dealt with people was a pretty damn useful when I had to deal with people, um, I'm going to, when I was having problems, when I was having supervisory challenges. So that was super helpful to me. And I was glad that I had that opportunity something like 20, 25 years ago to have had that, um, bit of information dropped on me. Um, being able to read your people, understanding people, having some emotional intelligence, having the courage to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, and then being technically and tactically proficient in your job. Uh, I say all of that goes a super long way to fixing things. Oh, that's great. See why I always bother this guy? That's why I'm always stalking him. Um, probably, I'm going to say the number one characteristic that we don't really hear people talk about too much is introspection. Because if we don't know what our problems are, what our, what our flaws are, we won't work on them. Unfortunately, I've found that you can't really hammer that into somebody. You either recognize that you have some flaws or you're just going to be a problem. And so that, you know, that, that supervisor who, who already knows everything, he doesn't need any help, man, you, you know, that, that guy's not going to learn anything. He's not going to, you know, tune into a podcast or read a book. So to me, that's the number one, that's the number one thing. And I was real, real careful not to, not to say courage. Cause I got to see Chuck in a couple of months and I knew he was going to do that. So I don't want to <laughs> be on the shit list at TACCON. It's okay. It's okay to agree with me. 
<laughs> I just didn't want to steal your thunder because we, we talked about this quite a bit. Chuck and I have talked quite a bit about this and it's a, it's an important topic for us. <clears throat> yeah. James. Uh, and to add what both Warren and Chuck had said, uh, the one I'm finding, and I get reminded every time I'm not this, but a clear communicator. Um, I have been, you know, as FTO coordinator, I am setting up a lot of things in different places. And um, I'm assuming a couple of times that people know exactly what I want and then find out that what something else entirely was carried out. And I'm like, I did not communicate that very well. So when you're in a position of putting on the orders to carry out your chief or your sheriff's desires, you better tell people clearly what you want um, and do any of the things that need to happen there. So uh, that is the thing I, and I get reminded of that every time I'm not. And yeah, and that reminds me of something uh, uh, Rich Mason would say as far as communication is concerned. And that is that you need to speak not only to be understood, but speak so you are not misunderstood. And when he said that at first, I kind of thought, oh, it's kind of goofy. That doesn't make sense. It's redundant. And then I thought about it more and went, oh, okay. He was real emphatic when I, when I went to the his counterterrorism course. Of course, we have, you know, I know you've been there, but I don't want to like spoil the surprise for anybody that might go into the future. <laughs> Um, the cake you know that with there's the that one day that always turns into the battle of the little bighorn and oh yeah our fa our failure was in the briefing and the rehearsals and things like that so everybody's in the team room doing the aar and the guys are like well this and blah 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 blah, blah. and rich says human beings communicate seeking to be understood and you have to communicate so that you cannot be misunderstood. And those are two different levels of communication. And when you think about that in, in interpersonal relationships, how many, how much marital strife is caused by, well, you said this, no, I didn't, I meant that. So being careful to communicate so that you cannot be misunderstood is uh, it, it's a key thing, and most people don't communicate to that level. It's a it's a fascinating concept, and to to think about its application, and yeah, how many people speak and they they shout out orders, but they don't think, okay, how are people receiving this? I, I had my first experience because I have cop humor, and I'll, I use it a lot as a deputy. And then I had my first experience of my cop humor being mistaken as an order. And uh, when I get advised of that, it was not a good day. <laughs> You're like, who told you to do that? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Didn't happen. That's you why ever, we wear body cams. You ever seen that old meme where the guy's slapping his head and he goes, oh, shit, you did exactly what I told you to do. <laughs> I'm forming a dent in mine. Yeah, and that's the, with the communication. I've I've found that uh, repeating it to somebody doesn't always help. There's the younger guy, and he's very much like a dog or Chuck's the dog driving the car analogy when he's doing de-escalation classes. Don't let the dog drive the car. So they're just wanting to go out and chase that bad guy. You know, chase the car down the road. Uh, having them repeat it back to me, 
yep. without it, without being demeaning and say, okay, now let me make sure that I gave that to you correctly. I'm not saying, hey, make sure you're not as dumb as I think you are and that you're not going to do what I told you. I say, I'm saying, make sure I communicated that appropriately to you. Make sure and have them repeat it back to you. And then there's no miscommunication. And what's challenging about that or what's terrifying about that is how often it's not the case. They didn't understand exactly what I was saying. So I think that's a really, really good technique to be using, especially for a frontline supervisor. Yeah, that's something uh, we picked up on my team when we were doing uh, pre-raid briefings. And I had gotten that um, from a, a dude in my National Guard unit who had been in the Ranger Bat, uh, jumped into Panama, ju- jumped into Grenada. And he was big. I, I guess they had a culture of what they, they call back briefs when you were getting an op order you got the briefing and then whoever was doing that would go around the room and you had to brief that person back on what your role is in, in the, whatever the event is that you're doing. And that made you, it was almost like a pop quiz. How many, how many cops will like text or goof off in a class or whatever, but if they know there's a written test at the end, Oh, Oh shit. You know, um, I'm going to have to actually pay attention. And when you get called out on the carpet, and if it's a culture, it's nothing personal. It's not a challenge. You're not an idiot. But this is the way we do it. We do the briefing, and then you back brief me to, you know, your understanding of the event. Um, well, if, if you consistently get that wrong, there's there's a problem. I can also see the ability to explain things in different ways. Because if, if I just constantly repeat the exact same thing and it's still not getting through, the 85th time of saying it isn't going to change a thing. That's when you need to recode the message and say yeah. it differently. Uh, I figured, With song. I figured that out a long time ago. The other thing I like about back briefing is at some point, the dudes that you are talking to are going to have some, one of them is going to be in the role that you have. So part of your leadership development should be teaching people how to explain things, teaching people how to do things like speak in public, how to give a briefing, how to teach a class, whatever the case may be. I think it's a sneaky way to sneak in some uh, leadership development on your people so that they get used to doing that. So this next topic I have my frame of reference with the size of the agencies that I've worked with, I work for small agencies and the agencies need to rely on the autonomy of the individual officers. The officers can't be completely, they can't be held on. They can't, can't always have supervisors holding hands. They need to be able to think on their own. They need to be able to make decisions on their own in a perfect world. This is the case Um, and not call on every, like Warren said, call on a traffic stop. Okay. Why did you, make the stop to begin with. So I have a couple things here. Um, The importance of finding a balance between that helicopter supervisor versus that distant one, that distant supervisor um, absolutely uh, results in developing an officer's ability for decision-making. So the not necessarily always being there. Uh, One of the lessons I learned at Darcy was determining at what point as an instructor, should I be intervening? And at what point do I let them fail? because there's a tremendous amount of value with that failure. Um, So I can tell them what to do every call or they can fail and learn. Are they gonna learn if I'm gonna 
tell them every time? Probably not. As a matter of fact, what that's encouraging is they're going to call me then when they need toilet paper, when it run, when they run out of toilet paper at home. I don't want that relationship. So there needs to be some type of a room for officers to fail and have those lessons learned as long as there's not like policy violations or no one's in jeopardy. Um, and some of these lessons are absolutely best learned firsthand. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At the same time, other officers observing are going to have a good, this could be a good uh, uh, lesson as well. As a supervisor, though, it's important to be there readily to catch them if necessary, but to know what that balance is and to know, okay, this is we're starting to violate policy now or we're on the we're on the path to do that or it's starting to go dangerous. I need to step in. Uh, We're we're, we're interviewing a a subject who's now turning violent. I need to step in now because this officer is unable to handle this and I need to now help. and, And I'm still supporting my officer but I'm making sure that things don't get out of hand. Um, and this reminds me of my toddler. Uh, so he is, what's today? He's six, 16 months, 15 months. I don't know. He's walking all over. When he learned to walk, I couldn't pick him up every time he fell. I couldn't carry him everywhere. He, in order for him to learn, he needed to walk and he needed to fall. And sure, sometimes it was hilarious when he fell. And we all had a good laugh. He didn't laugh though. But carrying him and putting him upright or putting him upright every time he fell did not help reinforce any lessons. And he didn't learn how to walk better. If anything, if I did that excessively, that hindered him. And this is, this is preaching to the choir. Um, but if we keep the long, if we keep the long-term results in focus, we know we can't be holding these guys' hands all the time. And we need to, we basically, we have just like what you guys said, Essentially, part of our job is to prepare that next generation. I'm not always going to be there. You aren't always going to be there. We need to get that next generation able to be effective in their ability. And that comes, again, with our trust, with our communications, with our uh, relationships with those we work with. After that bad call, after the call where they kind of mess up a little bit, and we see it, we can discuss it. And, okay, what do we learn from that? Okay, what, what could we have done differently? Uh, responding to calls. That's one of the first things I, I ask the guys. I don't, I don't go on scene and say, do this, 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 this. We don't, res- it's not, Hey, I'm on scene. Everyone stop what you're doing and listen to me. No. Okay. Tell me what you got. What, what are your plans? What do you, what, what's the best course of action to do here? What do you think is, what are your options? Why are you choosing that option? And then we discuss from there. Um, but I think the, the better a supervisor is at their job, the more positive they're going to be at influencing those that they supervise, which in turn, hopefully to those that are paying attention, that's going to turn them into those next supervisors. Um, 
and so I have this written down here. Um, along that, the better the supervisor is and the better they are at positively influencing those that they supervise, the less work the supervisor does to the subordinate as opposed to the work the supervisor does with the subordinate. Your guys' thoughts? One of the hardest things I had to get over when I was first promoted to sergeant was to stop telling people what to do when I showed up on scene. Because I could see clearly what needed to happen. Uh, instead, I needed to do what you were saying. And that is, or when they would call me about a call, I would say, well, what do you want to do with it? And I think it does a couple of things for them. If they tell you something and they tell you correctly, and they, hey, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Roll with that. That's building confidence in that officer or the deputy to make those decisions on their own. But two, you shows what they're learning. If they tell you something they don't like, there is an opportunity for learning. Uh, but that, yeah, I mean, because if you get on scene and you start belting out orders to do this or do that, the chances of that could be retained as well. Another example is report writing. If a sergeant comes in and says your reports suck and he you know, bleeds all over it in little paper copies uh, in red and hands it back to you, you're correcting it because the sergeant's an English major or he just has a, you know, he's out to get you. You go to court on a bad report, those stick with you. So there's time and place. And if a supervisor sees a report going, well, you know, this is not a great report, but nothing bad's going to come out of this when he looks like an idiot on the stand. Maybe that's the learning opportunity, uh, especially if I've been correcting report after report and they still come in looking like the way they do. I know, that's, yeah. my that's the hardest thing in the world for somebody who's, who's a high-functioning supervisor is to leave your high-functioning people alone and let them work. When I just made captain, I, I was really fortunate to get these two super high-functioning guys under me, my lieutenant and my sergeant. I'm constantly going in there kicking dirt, going, so uh, anything I can do for you guys today? Because they don't need any help. I mean, I, I trained the one guy for a couple of weeks, trained the other guy for a month, and kind of hard to sit back and do that. So that's another one of those introspection things where you need to know that about yourself and, and rein yourself in. Lead yourself a little bit. So one of the things I point out to people is because it's very easy to, to fall into the micromanaging helicopter supervision type of thing. That's super, super common. That is a common human failing. Um, And you have you have to have the courage to admit one you got to pick the right people and then you got you got to train the right people and then you got to let their people your people do their job without you know over supervising them. It's a <clears throat> hint that if you have to micromanage your people, you've got the wrong people, and then continuing to do that doesn't fix the problem. Then, as a supervisor, having the guts to deal with Every once in a while, you've got people that need to not be there anymore because they're untrainable, they're emotionally unsuited for the job, um, they're ethically unsuited for the job, et cetera. And then that's where you're the that's that's really where you earn your paycheck is <clears throat> uh, <laughs> I remember being a shift lieutenant and one a very young sergeant that I had. Uh, who had promoted into one of my patrol zones. And she was uh, lamenting to me all the problems she was having with one of the other officers in, in her zone that she had just inherited. <clears throat> and I, uh, 
gave her the bit of knowledge that about 10% of your people are 90% of your work as a supervisor. That you have high functioning people, your job is to make sure they have what they need to do their job effectively, uh, give them attaboys when they, when they do good work, which they're gonna do a lot of, and then uh, don't get in their way, basically. And then a whole lot of your supervisory work is gonna be your problem children, maybe people that shouldn't be there. Um, ethically challenged, <clears throat> emotionally challenged, whatever the case may be. Uh, in this case, that ended up being a multi-month project where I walked uh, this young sergeant through her how to document, how to make a case, just like a major case as a detective. What you know? What are you going to do on a conspiracy case or you know a dope case or something like that? Um, you, you're going to, you're going to have a lot of documentation. You're going to have a lot of uh, paperwork and you're going to document what happened so that you can make your case. In this case, we, we made the case that the officer in question shouldn't, not a bad person, but shouldn't work. You know, you, we used to joke, you're not a bad person. You just shouldn't work here anymore. Uh, and then Warren. You know, she was she was lamenting, oh, my God, it's every day it's something. And I'm like, yes, exactly. That's what you get paid for. That's the difference between uh, a supervisor that does her job and somebody that that doesn't, you know, just perpetuates these problems and kicks that can down the road. And I've had supervisors that uh, would create issues because they didn't have, it seems like they didn't have anything better to do. So they would create those. They have good officers that worked for them, but they still felt the necessary, felt necessary to micromanage. And that, that created chaos within the agency. I've, I've seen bad supervisors like that who, you know, uh, somebody isn't conforming to their particular pet peeve or OCD or something like that or they just don't like somebody. And then they start targeting that employee. Uh, the worst possible douchebaggery that supervisors can be involved in is outcome and based investigations. Uh, yeah, hey, we're going to go get this guy because, um, so they start trying to work up a case um, for disciplinary reasons or whatever the case may be. That That's that kind of cowardice of utilizing your position to screw people over uh, is just unconscionable. Yeah, yeah. So I have this written down. Um, it goes a little bit like this. Uh, my perspective doesn't necessarily make the supervisor above the subordinate and levels of importance. The individual officer is most important in the span, within the span of control of the supervisor. Supervisors work for the subordinate in a way to help them succeed. If the supervisor does not have supervisory tasks, then they should be working alongside and support the officers. And that seemed, and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit before, where seeing I've seen people promote and all of a sudden, oh yeah, so all of a sudden it's all about me. That's not the way this works. If you if you if you do that way, you know, first off, you just threw morale in the garbage. Um but if you don't have that in your mind that you are here to help and those, those frontline officers, they're the most, they're way more important than you are. You're training them to be you, but they are the face of the, the, uh, of the agency to the public. They are the people interacting with the public and the public. That's ultimately who all of us are serving. 
I would say that's what makes the supervisor important is that they take care of those line people. Um, and if you create a bad environment, if you're that uh, helicopter supervisor, uh, or as the strike was pointing out, the vindictive supervisor who's just out to get somebody or the one who doesn't take care of his troops, that's when bad things happen to departments. So that's the important thing to do. And if you're standing there by my title, it makes me important. You're not serving, you're not doing your job. No, no. I'd say one of the, the other attributes or like lack of attributes that I see out of supervisors is once they promote to, especially in the police world, they promote to a certain level and they think they don't have to be a cop anymore. Like yeah. they're too good to go work a domestic or whatever the case may be. And even as a shift commander, every once in a while, like we'd, we'd have a heavy call load. Some of these more mundane calls that could be handled with one person didn't need backup. I'd listen to the radio and I'd run over and, and go take care of whatever that is, uh, knowing that if somebody needed me in a hurry, like if I went over and I was talking to somebody about their lawnmower being stolen out of their garden shed, if something important goes out, can I excuse myself from that and come back to it later? You can walk away from that. Um, whereas as a supervisor, if I get myself completely tied up into something, that eh, might be problematic if they need me someplace else. But the perception that you're too good now to do some mundane cop task uh, doesn't it, it? It's not leading by example. Um, <laughs> I re I recall a because I'm a military history nerd. Uh, I, re I recall a lecture on one of Julius Caesar's battles. Uh, before actually before he came became Caesar he was a, a senior military commander and I forget which barbarians they were they were uh, fighting but Julius Caesar's troops had encircled and were laying siege to this city and then those guys had friends that were coming from a different city to go help them out. So the Romans had to build a ring around the city where they were fighting the siege inward. And then they had to set up outer security for the other guys that were coming to fight them from outside. So it's pretty complex battle. Uh, Julius Caesar had the whole thing set up. He had, uh, they, he was using a lot of troops. It was a hell of a battle. The guys from the outside were about to break through Julius Caesar had one group of troops left that was his reserve and he was out of people. So he had his, whatever Romans had, squire or whatever, get his armor. Julius Caesar put his armor on. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Went over to that reserve unit and said, follow me. And then they, they went to the critical point of the battle and then they ended up winning the fight, even though they were fighting a two-sided battle. And the historian talked about one of the, the things that made Julius Caesar turn him into the guy that he was, how he became Caesar, things like that was at that pivotal moment, he didn't say, go get him boys. He said, follow me. And he led from the front. And if you look at the really effective generals in crisis, Patton, Rommel, Caesar, guys like that, they're going to put themselves in harm's way so that it's a, it's, we're in this together, not go get them guys. And then, you know, come back and tell me about what happened. Um, probably one of the most famous examples that people would look at is if you look at Captain Winters in the Band of Brothers series, that dude got it. When we talk about leadership, he, he was what well, one of my mentors used to say, he was getting the deal. Uh, you got to be technically and tactically proficient. You can't ask your people to do things you haven't done and that you're not willing to do. And every once in a while, you have to get muddy. Uh, I, I forget which general I picked up the expression from, but he had the expression, uh, when you go to the range, pick up your own brass. And people need to see you doing that. And that is a tremendous failing that I see consistently across the board in the, in the leadership world and in the law enforcement world and leadership levels. That's cool. Yeah. Pick up your own brass. James? I'm just listening to Chuck. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I think I was going to say something earlier. You said an important thing about, you know, a call you can dump because I didn't want to be one of those supervisors that doesn't take calls and backs my guys. So not thinking it through, I said, oh, there's a prisoner transport. Well, nobody wants to do that. It's a quick trip to the jail. So I'll grab the prisoner transport. And one minute into transporting the prisoner, a critical incident comes out. And what's the on-duty supervisor doing? driving a guy to jail so yeah think that through but do do back up your guys and uh when that when they see you taking the for lack of a better term shit calls they'll remember that hey, they always remember hey that lieutenant came out of the office and he went and grabbed that dumb call i mean they might think that's weird but at the end they're like lieutenant works so yeah <laughs> You know, you know how cops uh, will talk crap to each other. So I walked into roll call one day and two of the dudes, it was dudes from the earlier shift and my shift coming on and our squad's better because, and I walked in on one of the officers berating the other officer. Well, our squad's better because our sergeant will actually take a call and your dude, uh, your dude ne like, never leaves the office. Um, and you know, that's, that was one of those, I walked in when people were like, Ooh, Oh, like you got him a good one. And, uh, you know, I try not to be ego driven, but I was really, 
happy that, you know, I was the guy that was willing to go out and back up my guys and take calls. And I wasn't the one that people were talking about behind his back that wasn't willing to leave the office. Um, people, they're smart. They figure it out very, very quickly. I mean, when you come back and, you know, I don't want to make legacy a thing, but we, you think about the people you locked up to in law enforcement, it's those guys. I mean, I've got a sergeant who's retired for over 10 years now. We still talk about him because he was out there. He got after it. Uh, the guys that hung out the office when they leave, they're like, who was that guy? So, and that to me, the, the respect of the deputies of the officers is what matters. I agree. Yeah. That, Servant leadership. Sorry about my internet. Apparently I'm in Afghanistan or something. But yeah, that servant leadership, uh, it's a really, it's a really important thing, that internal service. And I mean, obviously you're in charge and you're responsible, but at the same time, you gotta you gotta treat your people with the same amount of decency you would expect to be treated. Uh, I can't remember who said it. Ken Blanchard, maybe said uh no it wasn't either stephen covey said uh treat your people just like you would your very most valuable cost customer and i always add because they will and so if we're treating our people like crap they're going to treat the public like crap and then we're going to be dealing with that going all the way up the chain I, I was just at a retirement party for some friends and there was a uh, Texas sergeant who was close to retirement too, but he'd been doing this a lot, a lot longer than I have. And uh, he congratulated me on my promotion, which is five years old now, but he goes, you always want to choke him out. <laughs> Do it. Well, that really covered all the points that I had specifically. What other things come to mind for you guys? So there's been a couple of like at my retirement, <clears throat> I plan on doing two to four more years. Something I wish I had read had been available early in my career. Was, wait, wait, this was in 2000. What's that? that? This retirement was in 2000 and you wanted to only do two or a couple more years. No, no, I, no, my, my retirement was, uh, my first retirement was 2014. Okay. Um, so I, I had planned on doing two to four more years and then we had a new chief, uh, it took me a couple of months to figure out which way the wind was blowing on that. <clears throat> and that it, it comes a point where if you can't support the organization or the person in charge, their, their vision, their leadership direction, whatever the case may be. Uh, instead of being like a whining, sniveling malcontent, uh, it might be time to check out. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up leaving, leaving two to four years before I had planned on leaving because I, it, 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 there was a lot of factors involved in that, but I had to have the courage to go, you know what? I need to find something else to do that I, I absolutely can't support this guy's vision and direction. Um, but uh, what I, what I'd started to say was uh, 
some of some of my thoughts on that came from a, a book that I wish I had had available when I started in the police world instead of when I was, you know, 20, 25 years into my career was Kevin Gilmartin's book, Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. And that's a big part of uh, if, if, if you read that and you pay attention to the pitfalls along the way in the law enforcement world, the the uh, emotional and uh, mental pitfalls that we can we can uh, that are traps waiting for us, for all of us, um, you can avoid that. And I sure could have been less assholeish during uh, parts of my career where I was meeting meeting I was uh, nearing burnout, you know. Um, and that really helped me out. I wish I'd have had it sooner and probably would have helped some of my officers out. Would have helped me be a better supervisor, would have helped me help them better if I'd have had that information sooner. Yeah, that's a big part of the peer support. I mean, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole here, but having a peer support team with, uh, with leadership support is, is imperative. And particularly when you're talking about blowing the frog, and you're around this guy every day and he's getting a little bit worse and a little bit worse, but you're around him so much that you don't really realize it until you maybe take a vacation and come back and then go, wow, he didn't used to be like that. He didn't used to get complained on that much. That's, that's one of those things you really got to pay attention to for other people, but really you got to take care of number one first because you can't help anybody else. You know, you can't put the mask on, on the kid before you put it on yourself, you know, when you're going down. So, um, uh, I, I, a, I know where Chuck's coming from with that. That, that was a uh, plane crashing reference for the plane that, crash. Yeah, that, for those of that have not been on an airplane before. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that um, looking out for your buddy is another courage aspect. <clears throat> I joke that uh, no, you know, I want the kind of friend that'll tell me like my fly's unzipped or I got a booger on my cheek, you know, <laughs> and having the balls to do a buddy check be yeah. like, Hey, Bob, you know, you've been using a lot of sick time lately. And when we go out, you are drinking a lot. Having, having the balls to actually step up and say something instead of just sitting back on the sidelines and letting people ruin their lives. You know, that's, that, that's a big deal too. Uh, if we don't, something I used to tell my people is if we don't look out for each other, nobody else is going to do it for us. Nobody. It's kind of that, that band of brothers thing. Uh, you know, the whole buddy check on the airplane before you jump, you got, you know, your, but you can't check your own parachute. So your buddy's got to check that, you know, your rigging is set up correctly. That kind of thing. We have to have that buddy check mentality that, um, help each other out, that kind of thing, both, both professionally, tactically, technically, and, uh, you know, in these human factors, the emotional factors, the, you know, are you dealing well with stress? Uh, are you drinking too much or, you know, whatever the case may be? Well, if you think about it, there are, there are ways I behave and things I say that are very different that I do at work versus at home. And people I work with might pick up on cues that my wife might not see or things I say or, or whatever. And so just like you said, if, if no one else is looking out, there's a possibility home life might not even be aware of some of this. In the long run, yes, life's falling apart. It's too late. But some of those early warning signs might be showing up with your coworkers. And it 
might be time for you to say, speak up or, or, or check on that coworker. Yeah. Have you done it the other way around where you accidentally talk like you do at work at home? Doesn't work well. <laughs> you know, we've had other chief on appreciated. That's right. And <laughs> you know, we've had so many, uh, so many guys looking back on it that we probably could have kept, you know, we could have kept him as a productive member before we got, before we started doing peer support. And I'm, I'm a little bit of ashamed of how much I learned in those classes because I, I really thought I was kind of a psychology nerd and I really knew people and I read books and whatever and learned so much in that class. And the chief uh, at the time uh, put five of us through there and we've had at least two or three that I would call saves. Like the, not really the bad, bad stuff, but we were able to kind of intervene and say, hey, what's going on? Get them some sick time where they needed to get, get stuff kind of straight. And, you know, they're back to being productive. So that's, that is a, a leadership failure on my part and everybody else's part probably down there until, until that chief or performer chief decided he wanted us to do that. We had a, had a shooting, an officer involved shooting, and it really kind of shook us all up because that kind of thing happens around here maybe once every 10 years. You know, we don't, we don't get 10 shootings a month or anything. So that was, uh, that one kind of struck us because we didn't really know how to help our guys as well as we probably could have or as much as we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully he came up with that. And like I say, we've had, we've had at least two or three folks that are still here and productive when we would have lost them to um, other agencies or another profession or something else. So uh, one of the big things I would do if I was, if I was the king of the world is make everybody have to have a peer support team. And have to have a policy on it just like we have to have a use of force policy we have to have a pursuit policy by law we need to have a peer support policy by law we could save a lot of our guys and really make their lives extend their lives you know because of the stress moderation and just make them happier people and doing a better job at work at their, at their job you know doing better service so that's my rabbit hole no that's a good rabbit hole let's go let's continue there so off the top of your guys's heads what are some of the clues that someone's going through something that you've seen or that you're, that you're aware of? Change in personality, um, gregarious people becoming uh, quiet, quiet people becoming uh, more animated, angry, you know, uh, more angry than normal see how they treat people on calls or how they talk about after the calls. When you get to that point, like Gil Martin talked about that, uh, the burnout stage, typically people cops hit like 10 to 15 years in, um, when everybody's an asshole, you know, just everybody's an asshole. Uh, and typically that, you know, people don't, they don't, they don't wake up that way. Uh, they, they fall into the trap of of that type of thinking or, Something else I don't know where I stole this from is uh, their stress bottles full. So everybody has a bottle, their stress goes into it. In in a healthy uh, way of, of doing business, it evaporates faster than the bottle fills. But at some point in everybody's life, their stress bottle is going to fill up and overflow. Uh, doesn't make them a bad person necessarily or, you know, whatever, but 
starting to recognize these like changes in personality, changes in, in behavior. Um, people start calling in sick, taking more time off, particularly when they get a pattern of sick leave, like uh, calling in sick after they've had days off, calling in yeah. sick before they have days off, you know, that kind of pattern. Um, getting more complaints, starting to get more complaints, starting to get into more beefs with coworkers, um, that sort of thing. Not looking to jam people up, but just as a sign of like, dude, is every is everything okay? Kind of kind of thing. And then having those, being able to have those conversations with people. One of the things that I prided myself with is um, you know, with something we talked about earlier is you get the, some of those supervisors that are just out to screw people. Whereas uh, if you do it right and you have a reputation of taking care of your people, caring about your people, you can have difficult conversations with them. It is everything okay. And, you know, I've, I've talked to people and, and had them confess that, you know, uh, I just found out my dad had cancer or, you know, I'm having problems in my marriage or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, sometimes people just need to literally get that off their chest and having a venue where they can do that, where it's not going to be judgmental. They, they know you're not trying to stick it to them, that sort of thing. I, I think that's an important part of being a good leader. Chuck, if I can ask, how many times do you think a supervisor didn't stop to listen to what the problem was, but went straight to, hey, you're not doing this right. The officer deputy shuts up so they never get to the core of that problem. Yeah, that's the yeah, that that's that is also a major human failing, I would say. And I yeah. see how this oh. as a supervisor, you actually have to give a shit to begin with. Yep. You know? If, if they don't perceive that you actually give a shit, uh, I wrote that article for primary and secondary years ago. Um, to this day, what I'm thinking, one of my, my, my first sergeant, when I got uh, off of FTO on solo patrol, the shift I was on, the first sergeant that I had was Dave Landis. Uh, saw some very combat, so some, some very heavy combat in Vietnam. Then became a cop, was was a, a supervisor and a, and a good, good, good sergeant. And he met with his people often. And when he asked you how you were doing, it wasn't just one of those things that people say to each other. He really, you knew he cared and he cared a lot. And to this day, when I ask, when I'm having a supervisory challenge, I will ask myself, what would Dave do in this scenario? Um, he was just that good. So um, he set me up as a really good example early, early in my life that somebody I could emulate that was really squared away as a sergeant. I see this as a huge morale thing for the entire department if this is maintained and people are truly looking out for each other. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a supervisor. It can be a, a line officer who happens to be paying attention. All should be, but yeah. So in 94, when my friend Tony Patterson got killed uh, on, a, on a dope raid, I made it there. You know, we, we hear the radio traffic, everything goes to shit. I pull up in my squad and just in time to where they're throwing him in the meat wagon, 
So I'm escorting the ambulance to the hospital. And so I'm like one of the first people there. <sighs> Tony didn't make it. And uh, so that was, that was the first officer fatality in my career. And uh, so you're in, you're in disbelief and what do you do next? Things like that. And uh, I, had, I was an FTO at the time, but I was just a patrol officer. And our chief at the time, I had had some run-ins with. Um, he, was, he had some ethical challenges, but um, wasn't a stupid guy. Uh, I come walking out. He, he was, I was talking to some of the other guys. And of course, as, as happens, cops will start to show up. And chief showed up um, when he got the member of the days of pagers. Uh, he showed up and uh, part of that was he pulled me aside. And even though I knew he didn't like me, he goes, Chuck, you're one, you're, you're one of the people that people look up to on your shift. And I need you to help me get people through what is a very tough time over the next few days. And then later in my leadership learning and things like that, I could tell he had pegged me as an informal leader, which all, which all organizations have. And that was my first exposure to like, it was odd to me that he had paid attention to that, that, and I didn't think of myself in that manner. He had dropped that one on me. And I thought about that later in, in my uh, career. And then when I was a supervisor, um, <laughs> I, I was a sergeant. I had a corporal that worked for me. And then one of my, one of my se more senior officers was an FTO, had been a Marine. So we didn't have that rank, but I knew he was a strong, informal leader. So I called him my Lance Corporal because I knew in the Marine Corps that, that, that they had that rank. And recognizing that potential in people and utilizing that resource. And then I'm not sure how to word it, but recognizing that complimenting people, um, nurturing that in your troops is also a very important thing. That's cool. That's that part of being a boss is knowing your people. And knowing yourself, like like Chuck was saying, you know, you have to give a shit. Well, there's some of those folks we come across that take a good test and do good on their oral board, but they really don't give a shit about their guys. And you can't fool them. You can't, you know, even even a brand new cop can see through that a mile away. So you've you got to be genuine with your concern for your folks. It's just you're in the wrong line of work if you don't. If you don't care about doing the right thing, helping people out including especially your own folks. You need to go somewhere else. Yeah. I, looking back, I, I remember the sergeants that the sergeant, I got one guy, he was my mentor and he took care of me and he took care of his troops. And I remember that the other sergeants, I remember the ones that screwed me over. And <laughs> actually screwing me over or not, that's what I remember. And um, they may have been, you know, doing their job as far as enforcing policy or law. That's not how it came out. So take care. You see a lot of the hypocritical leadership. I've seen it. Um, yeah. I think that's the hardest one for, for the, for the guys, for the, for the troops to really abide. 
because that's the one I see the most pushback on is those guys that are say this and, but not for me, I do my own thing. Yeah. You know, get in your district, take care of your calls and then you never ever see this supervisor again. It's like, yep. Go take those calls, but I'm not going to take any. The more I think about it and I think I brushed on it just slightly, but, uh, this whole idea of mentorship isn't necessarily a, it's a, it's not a supervisory role necessarily. It can be, anyone can do that. New officer comes on, hell old officer could be still mentored. Um, but I think it's, it's just, it, it, it comes down to effective communication. Um, but the bottom line with this is I think for an entire department to, to, to function, in their role as the, as the police, everyone looking out for each other, ultimately trying to do what's best for the public. What's what's best for, for those that we serve. I think that seems to be the key and that doesn't seem to be the most popular thing right now. Um, at least if you were to, if you were to talk to any, anyone on the media, uh, news or whatever, they all seem to think that we are all in it for, I don't even know what, but that's not the case. That's not what's going on here. That's certainly not what we're discussing here. Um, but I think this has been absolutely fantastic. And it isn't just, this discussion is not just for supervisors. This is for everyone. You can be a brand new officer and use anything that we just discussed. And even at, and even maintaining that brand new officer status, you can still be a positive influence. You might not know a damn thing but you still can be a, a positive influence on others. You can look out for others. You can, uh, yeah, be that. Uno- now, what was the phrase you used, Chuck? Not the, the unofficial leader. Oh, informal leader. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have anything further? I could add one thing about leading up the chain. If you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, please. Uh, I talked about those two high functioning guys I got. Well, they also, we also get along really, really well. And we've got a really good respectful relationship, but I had a, a failure on my lieutenant's part at one point to, to lead up the chain and correct me. Hmm. So I said, Hey, go do a, get this done real quick here and make sure you do it this way. And he's like, okay. And I noticed he was kind of hesitating. So I came to follow up because whenever somebody hesitates, that means a couple things. They don't know what they're doing or they think what you're telling them is wrong. So I went to follow up them real quick because, you know, there was that other factor and he was right. And I said, well, that's your failure. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me like, what? And I said, you, you need to be courageous enough to lead up the chain of command. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No that doesn't mean you do it the Warren Wilson way because that can lead to consequences here and there. But there's nothing wrong with leading up the chain of command and getting out in front of some things. Another way to do that is you got a you got a bad policy coming from a policy company like a ban on neck restraints that we know is stupid and we want to fight that. That's not one of those deals where we're going to walk in the chief's office and say, hey, dipshit, let me, let me try to get you lined out on that. We're going to be smart about it, right? We're not, we're not turning over desks. We're going to write up a proposal. We're going to, in this case, we're going to call Chuck Haggard and say, hey, what do I do? <laughs> Which I did and uh, went pretty well. And he's so, going to have uh, me joke the chief out. <laughs> yeah. we, we, we pay him you know, expenses to come down and, and, and teach our classes. So next time we'll, we'll, we'll have you go in there and I'll give you a list of stuff. But now this just that leading up the chain of command is something they don't, don't forget about. Even if you're a patrolman or a sergeant or whatever, you can have a lot of influence on, on things. If you just have the courage and the finesse, just maybe a, str- a struggle of mine. Um, those, that nuance views and the way to present them can be a really good, in, really good impact on your department, even if it's a really big department. One guy can do a lot of cool stuff. Absolutely. Hell, I remember as a correctional officer submitting policy stuff. That's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, I got, I got one because. Uh, <clears throat> You know, I was uh, supposed to be a couple of times in there on your instructor cheat codes. Uh, one of the things in the law enforcement uh, role that I think is unexplored because people don't think of it, but firearms instructors as a leadership role. Mm-hmm. Setting the example, technically and tactically proficient, being, being an emotionally intelligent mentor, and then having the courage through force of personality to push a program in the direction where it needs to go. If you look at one of my, one of my examples is uh, LAPD back in the day was well known as accomplished. They, they were, they were good gunfighters when they needed to gunfight, right? Which can give you a reputation of people don't try because they know they're going to lose. That gets you into less gunfights, not more. So if you look at the LAPD program back in the day and the people that were involved, um, Scotty Reitz, Larry Mudgett, et cetera, you can take, you look at a department of like, I think there are about 10,000 people and you're like this department and you think of this mass of 10,000 people and they have this reputation. And then you, you distill that down to how that came to be. Well, their firearms program was so good and that culture was, was so infused throughout the agency because the strength of will of a handful of the right people in the right place in the organization to drive those positive changes forward. And it it's amazes me how departments can have a reputation for good or ill. Man, that department is blah, 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 blah. And when you distill some of that down, it comes down to a handful of people in the organization for good or ill 
being in certain smart spots and having certain influences. Uh, that's where some of that courage, some of that force of personality, some of the will to push things forward, like as a firearms, and most people wouldn't think of as an agency firearms instructor as a leadership position, but it is most definitely a leadership position. Just as one example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll add, because you know, I advocate for my field training officers. I think they do more to shape a department than all the command staff combined. And it's because that training officer will influence the driver, the officer, deputy, that car, and how they will act and how the culture of that agency. So it's interesting where that leadership comes from. They're, I mean, it's a rank, but it's not a uh, official rank. Uh, yeah, it's leadership and it's a core element. That's that's a million percent true. But we, you know, we've had a disconnect in the last decade or two. You know, the FTOs used to be the old grizzled guy, you know, that, that really knew what he was doing and was very well experienced. And then I, I can't really put my finger on the year that it happened, but it seemed like a light switch. And all of a sudden we we're having two, nobody wanted to do it. And it was all the two and three year guys that were volunteering to be FTOs that get that extra 80 bucks a month or whatever. And we, we took the program uh, recently and said, you know, this is too important to not do something good with this. So I think we pay four, 500 bucks now a month extra to be an FTO, whether you have a rookie or not. And of course we're hiring is everybody's always got a rookie right now, but that is an incredibly important program. And we're, we're actually putting together a certification program where I'm writing a, a two-day uh, PowerPoint. And I'll tell you, it's the hardest thing I've ever done because it's it's a lot of pressure to get that right. But those guys, but yeah, I, I wish I'd have brought that up. James, that was great. That's, that is, at a low level, one of the most important roles on a department. Mm -hmm. um, and then, frankly, that's one of the typically in the police world it's looked upon like patrolmen are looked down on the whole like if you look if you watch cop movies the the patrolmen are out there you know they're not cool the detectives are the cool guys the narcotics uh, narcs are the cool guys or csi or whatever uh patrolmen are the core of the department and then good patrolman training cops had to be cops is the core of the agency um, I never took a, I never took a detective test, um, went to a specialty unit, something like that, because one of the things that I was tired of was working on the street with other people who had been poorly trained because their FT, FTO in name only had failed them. And, uh, they had just been pushed through the process on no cop left behind, and then I'm working with people who are not technically and tactically proficient. So I identified that early in my career as, you know what, that's a super important job. So I was an FTO for 10 years. Um, I'm kind of proud of the fact that some of my rookies are lieutenants, captains. One of them's a deputy chief. The current sheriff of the county I live in is one of my recruit officers. Um, kind of proud of that. The program itself is super important. Uh, I was recently, well, recently in the last couple of years, introduced to something where it's more of a free range FTO, where we don't document any, anything. And we just kind of go by the seat of the pants. 
And I kind of had a concern. Okay, so say we have a critical incident. How do we document that that person had any necessary training? Uh, they went through the FTO. Yeah, but do we have it? Would there be any actual documentation as to what, what was covered? Well, no. Okay, you don't see an issue here? Yeah. That's the, one of the quickest ways you can beat negligent retention or negligent training is a fully documented field training program. Yeah. And, you know, basic academies are good. I mean, they, they get hit on by the street guys a lot, but they're good, but they are basic academies. You don't learn this art until you get in the street. And that on-the-job training with an experienced FTO who wants to pass on that knowledge, that's got to be in paperwork. Sorry. And I'm, I hate paperwork. Yeah. But necessity. <laughs> Love your agency. You got to take care of your agency. Document down what, this, what you're teaching this guy. They're learning what they're doing well. What we did to make them better. Well, to make it better, one of the aspects of this that I, how the way it was explained to me was, and there's no rating system. Wait, what? So everyone's getting a trophy? But this was real. This was real. That's how you end up with a completely shitty program and people on the road that shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And then that directly leads to negative incidents. Uh, how, why did that officer get into a shooting that never should have happened? Why did that officer, you know, do this or do that? That is the, that, that is the root cause of so many problems in law enforcement that garner us uh, negative publicity. If you go back to the eighties, I don't know if uh, any of you guys remember Miami had a big, big hiring push and they were trying to hire more people than they had the capacity to do good background checks on and do good training on. So they just kind of fast track people through the system and they accidentally hired some of the married alitos when, uh, when, when Cuba emptied its prisons into the uh, boat lift to Florida. So all of a sudden Miami was uh, investigating, you know, the FBI is investigating in Miami. Well, why, why is this dead drug dealer floating in a canal with a pair of Miami PD handcuffs on him, you know, and two bullets in the back of his skull? And where did all that cocaine go? Things like that. That the, the, all of these major scandals come back to bullshit like that. Yeah, it's yeah don't be afraid of washing a guy. Yes, yes. Well, and and be afraid of it. A good program is going to weed this out. We're going to see it before it happens, before we need to take action. Hell, probation periods. What a great concept. Because if someone's not set for it, well, well. We need, to, we need to use the tools that we have to remove them if they're not um, right for the job. And we, it's, it's, it's a great idea. Yeah, it's wonderful to try to save everyone, but it's not possible. But at the same time, counter to that, just throwing away everyone without trying any salvaging, that's also, a, in my opinion, a major sin. Um, it costs enough as it is just to hire someone and getting, getting them outfitted and then to throw that away because of, well, they messed up here. Okay, what actions were taken to try to bring this person up to our our uh, our level, the, our, our expectations? When I, when I got to go to the captain with, uh, this is everything we've tried within our reason. Yes, it's a salvageable employee. The, the decision for the captain's almost made. I mean, it's made up. Um, if you don't go to those nth degrees, you can get now. Nah, let's try something else. Um, but uh, you can go to the captain and it makes the life for the captain a tad easier. 
Um, I go back to not rating and not documenting. How do you have a consistent program? That's a good question. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't seem feasible. Everybody's going to come with different experience. I mean, yep. you're gonna get, you might get a good veteran cop and he'll teach him some, some stuff, but to go to the next guy who has a completely different idea of policing. I don't see how an agency could have consistency <laughs> and discussing what we're looking for in a trainee. The officer that explained this to me, it sounded like it was, it was from a class that they took and it made no sense in the slightest. I just don't care. That's the infusion of everybody's a blue ribbon kid, politically correct uh, behavior. We're not going to wash anybody. We want to keep everybody except that that's how you end up with horrifying events out of you, out of your agency. Um, You know, you can't, the, I, if you're not measuring anything and you're never cutting anybody that just proves your, your program is completely invalid. You, you can't defend that in court. You can't. I could see people going that route and they're waging they're uh, they're betting against themselves because, well, we've never had this happen. We're just going to bet that it's not, it's going to continue on that path. Whistling past the graveyard doesn't actually do anything for you. What about holding your breath? Um, no, that'll make you pass out next to the graveyard. Okay. <laughs> Is that a big leadership failure to come back and go, well, everything turned out all right, so we're doing great. Well, that's, well, yeah. isn't that, uh, there's well, a concept there. Yes. Poor tactics. Yep. Poor decisions, poor whatever. Fortuitous outcomes reinforce all that. Yeah, don't reward bad tactics just because everything worked out well they hit on that uh, four science hits on that really hard in the de-escalation program and we see that so many times like whoo no harm no foul until next time yeah until next time there might be a foul it it, it was cut the first debrief i went to when the incident turned out okay and they start talking about, you know, you didn't do this, you didn't do this. You didn't. But it, that was a little shocking. But then it comes to find out, says, you know, you did all this good. So we need to sustain this. We need to work on this. You know, in the long run, it's like, all right, we got stuff to work on. And we we're better as a result. You walk away from insect gun. That worked without really thinking about it. Um, yeah, you get what Chuck said. Well, last call for any additional concepts that we should probably discuss. How about drinking your own bathwater? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Self-leadership. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, not just leadership, but almost everything else in cop work, somebody else has already figured it out. And that's why we go to schools. I learned more, you know, sitting around the table with some guys at dinner about some things than I ever learned in the classroom or on, on the street and especially about leadership and stuff. So getting out there and finding out what everybody else is doing. And uh, like I said, Chuck can attest to this. I'm not, not shy about reaching out and asking somebody for, for advice or how do you do this or what, what's your experience here? You're crazy not to do that except for every once in a while, he'll probably just not answer the phone, but I'm, I'm probably, probably the only one who does that to him. <laughs> I'm probably not the only one that does that to him, so it's cool. But there's a lot of folks like that. You gotta 
get out there and stop drinking your own bathwater. Find out what everybody else is doing. It may be dumb. You may not want to bring that stuff back. It may be really good. And you'll never know. But, uh, not, not getting outside of your department or thinking your department is the end all be all. That's what, uh, you know, our friend and mentor Vince O'Neill used to call incest and inbreeding. Uh, neither yep. one of those things are something anybody should be doing. More so if you're in the South, but because it's more accepted. <laughs> I tried using that quote and they would, and they it got cut from one of my articles, <laughs> my leadership articles. Well, and at the same time, we have uh, what is it? The profit in your own land. You have the people that they do seek out that good info. And they get it and they bring it back. And, ah, whatever. It's just haggard. Mm -hmm. I don't care. So I was, I was in the humorous position of I was removed by a chief from being involved in policy development um, because he didn't think my education was in order. I didn't have a master's degree, that kind of thing. So uh, they wouldn't, they wouldn't any, anything that I wrote up or anything like that, they were not going to implement as a policy. But I had helped author, uh, among other things, the IACP model policy in response to excited delirium that we then adopted because it was an IACP best practices. So I couldn't write policy for my department, but I could write policy for the IACP, which was then subsequently adopted by my department because it's the IACP. That's awesome. Yeah. That had to feel pretty good. Neener, neener, neener. Mm -hmm. Chuck, are you about a pumpkin? Just about. Yep. I have to be up in seven hours. Yeah. Okay, so before we close... Let's get some final thoughts. Also, where can people find you if you want to be found? If you have online things or, I don't know, other personas you, you need to have uh, attention. One thing I do like to say at the end and sometimes even at the beginning of these, make sure that you, and this is out to, out to all those of you that are listening or watching or whatever, Make sure that you are supporting those sources that you have found to be beneficial. If you like what these guys have to say, and they have a means of conveying information on a regular basis, or they have, whether it be articles, videos, training, I'm trying to think of something to include James, but I can't think of anything. <laughs> um, make sure you find them on social media. Make sure you find them on YouTube, whatever, wherever they're working find them, give them likes, give them shares, give them subscriptions because that stuff is currency. If you like what Varg Freeborn has to say, Chuck Haggard, uh, Chuck Pressburg, Bill Blowers, Riley Bowman, you name all of our primary and secondary people. If you like what these guys say, make sure you're pushing their stuff. Make sure you're sharing it because there's so much crap out there. It's overwhelming. And it's difficult for a lot of people to, 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 decipher what is entertainment and what's education or what's entertainment and what's helpful. And unfortunately it's not fun. It's not sexy, the helpful stuff all the time. And the educational stuff has been, this episode probably won't be uh, held very high, but 
us talking about 22s at the beginning would have a higher rating. Uh, I already talked about that, but make sure you're giving these guys support. Um, Cause yeah, there's so much good info out there. And I can think of several friends who've been associated with us on primary and secondary who've pretty much hung stuff up because it's not worth it. It is not worth their time because it's not getting anywhere. And they're just, they just feel like they're spinning their wheels. Your support can help change that. So let's get some final plugs and also some final thoughts. I need to start with Chuck because he will turn into a pumpkin very shortly. Chuck, take it away. Um, my website's uh, agiletactical.com. Uh, the, my company's name's Agile Training and Consulting, but Agile Training and all that, somebody already grabbed the, the web name. So, you know, you got to take what you got to take what they'll give you. Uh, so agiletactical.com. Uh, as, as you know, I, I have my own business, uh, training and consulting, do expert witness stuff. Uh, I've helped departments out, helped cops out, knock on wood. Uh, any case I've been involved in as an expert witness, we have not lost. So um, hopefully I had a big part of that and it just wasn't really good lawyers, you know, uh, but do a lot of training, uh, did a lot of traveling last year, looking forward to more traveling this year to uh, famous conferences and uh, classes that I'm doing, that sort of thing. Um, so <laughs> one, one of the last things, I don't know, I guess one of the last thoughts is uh, people have to step up. So be the lack of bullshit you wish to see in the world. Those are good words. James? Be the lack of bullshit you want to see in the world. <laughs> um, no. Uh, as a supervisor, the, kind of the point of this podcast, um, take care of your people. That is your number one job. And that means everything we talked about tonight. Uh, encouraging them when they do well. Uh, correcting them when they need it. Letting them fail up when they need to do that. But take care of your people. Um, that's the job you're paid to do. And unfortunately, James doesn't have a cool website or anything yet. <laughs> no, I'm not into that. I have an IG. I don't know why. But uh, unincorporated cop. It made sense to me when I wrote pictures of shooting guns. There's a cool short, uh, um, I'm sorry, slow motion video of a flintlock going off because I like old guns. There you go. Warren. James, you'd had fun with our earlier conversation before we got started. We were talking about all kinds of stuff that it's not urban combat related. Um, I think my, my biggest thing is always that, that introspection and don't be afraid of uh don't be afraid of getting information from somewhere i think the best thing i ever did as a firearms instructor was getting outside of law enforcement firearms instruction and I've, most of what i've got now is is you know civilian non-sworn personnel the same thing goes for leadership we're, we're making huge mistakes by not tapping into the billions of dollars that private business has spent learning about leadership. Uh, one of my biggest mentors, my, probably my biggest mentor, and don't hurt anybody's feelings, but is my wife, because she's been such a great leader. And she went through the McDonald's Corporation to the point where she was uh, an area supervisor. 
And I guarantee you, she had more training to do that than I did when I took over as a small town police chief. She had tons and tons of information. So get outside of that, get outside of that cop world. We don't know everything. There's a lot of good stuff out there. And then um, my website is defensivetrainingservices.com. Defensive Training Services. I did not mean to uh, plagiarize from Tom Givens. When I, when I got that name, it sounded good. And then I bought the LLC and then I went, oops. So sorry, Tom, and thanks. Uh, and I would give a plug to my department, Enid PD in Oklahoma. We're really getting our stuff together, uh, doing a good job with everything, but uh, getting people to, <laughs> to, to come get hired on. So if you're certified, we'll give you 10 grand the first year just for signing. So I, have, I think I've used this for that more than anything else. Awesome. Cool. Well, big thanks to the panel. Awesome discussion. Um, I, I enjoyed it. And, and the, what we discussed isn't necessarily cop centric. It can cover most, most things. Uh, big thank you to our sponsors. Big thank you to big, big techs, Filster, primary arms, staccato, Walther. And lastly, big thank you to the Patreon subscribers. If you go to patreon.com slash primary and secondary, you can help support the network. What does that mean? That means you can help pay all the bills that allow us to do stuff like this podcast. Um, there's hosting involved. There's uh, software to edit videos and stuff. As a matter of fact, uh, it also allows us to do this awesome training summit coming up in May which I still need to open up. I'm still working on some final details uh, because of the the shift in our schedule. Some of the regulars that we had last year won't be able to make it. So we're having uh, additional or different instructors come in. And so we get to change the, the, the focus a little bit. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great opportunity to uh, network and get some good firearms training in. Uh, not only uh, firearms, but also some mindset stuff. Uh, one of the things I'm doing also differently this year versus last year is there will be couples packages or family packages. Essentially what happened was we had people showing up and their wives just kind of stayed behind. And it sounded like the wives might've appreciated to be able to attend. So why don't we just include them so they can actually participate? And so that's where this comes in. So I think that's pretty much it. We are on, let's see here, YouTube, Instagram, we have our own forum and website, primaryandsecondary.com and primaryandsecondary.com slash forum. Um, please use the forum. It is there for your use. All this stuff is for your use. Uh, and none of this will ever be behind a paywall. Uh, as a matter of fact, our Patreon subscribers make sure of that. Um, it's kind of nice. But the forum is a, a great alternative to Facebook, which at some point we are going to lose all access to everything, even thinking about a gun. Because, you know, you think about Arc'teryx jackets and all of a sudden you start seeing their ads. <laughs> if you start thinking of guns, they're going to ban you. So, thought police. So that's all. I will talk to you guys later. <laughs>